you got your Bibles open, hopefully you got them open to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and um, we're going to be looking at that, but before we get to that, I want to talk to you a little bit about me. Now, I don't usually do that when I'm preaching, because I like the Bible, and I like what Jesus has to say, and I think that's really good, and you should too. Um, but I want to share with you, I guess, a little bit about what the Lord's been doing in my heart over the last probably six months or so. And so where I'm at, um, as Ian, you know, regardless of all of the added bits that we put on, like, you know, reverend, dad, husband, pastor, whatever, okay, as Ian. So I made sure I got on a retreat. I retreated last year. I took 24 hours off. And don't worry, it was actually on my day off, which is a Monday. So, so I got away on a Monday. Um, and so I went away and I booked a motel room in Port Albert. Anyone know where Port Albert is? Beautiful place. Fish and chips are the best, they tell me. And so I booked a hotel room and I took my Bible, took my guitar, and it was just me and the Lord. It was just great. I didn't even take any food with me. That was one of the plans. Because I just needed to, as a person, and, and as all the other labels and things that I, all responsibilities that I have, as a person, I just wanted to know, God, why am I here? What have you, what's my purpose here? Why did you put Ian McGill here in this place, you know, in Victoria, in Pakenham, in Melbourne, whatever? Why am I, why am I here? And why can't someone else be here instead of me? Why am I here? And so the plan was that I would just drink lots of water and coffee because coffee is good. It has vitamins and minerals and, and just get away with the Lord and just pray and just allow him to speak to my heart, which I think is a really good thing to do. Jesus did it a lot. He got up early when it was still dark and he went to solitary, solitary places and, and spent time with the Lord, spent time with his father, especially when he was coming up to big decisions like choosing 12 disciples or dying on a cross. He spent time alone with God because it was really important to, to fine tune, why am I here and what's my purpose? Why, why am I here? Have you ever asked that question yourself? Why am I here? Tonight? <laughs> why am I here? I should just go home. No, why am I here? Why am I here? What purpose do I play? You know, am I really important or not? Will people notice if I'm not here at all? You know? And so I'm asking God this question when I get to the destination. On the way to the destination, it's a two-hour drive. So I'm listening to praise and worship, and I'm just praising the Lord. And on the way to the destination, I come to the point where I'm like, okay, Lord, why am I here? What's, why am I here? And I asked him the question. Uh, what? Uh, why? Am I here? And why did you plant a church? And, and I don't want to sound creepy. And God hasn't spoken to me audibly. All right. In fact, once he did. And those words were, Ian, I love you. I actually heard his audible voice when I, when I prayed. This was years ago in my early Christian walk. And so, um, but since then, it's just been like this impression. Just this impression. And... Um, and I've just been stupid enough to, you know, try it out to see if it was God. And more often than not, it has been. So it's been good. 
But lately, the last seven years, eight years, it's almost like he's just gone, here, Ian, go. Just go. And, and I haven't sensed him directing or speaking or saying something specific. It's almost like, let's see how he goes. Angels, come watch him. We've told him what to do. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and so I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. It's almost like jumping off a cliff and just trusting that someone is going to catch you. And so I did that. So I said to the Lord, I said, why? Why did you plant a church? And, and the impression straight away, and I've shared this with our leadership for the, of the church. I said, the impression straight away was, I didn't plant a church. I planted people. I didn't plant a church. I planted people. And like, it was like, oh, yeah, duh. Why would he plant a church that he started 2,000 years ago? Nothing against church planting. I think it's great. There should be more of it. But we have to remember that it's just really continuing a church that has been planted 2,000 years ago. And it's called Jesus' church. He said, I will build my church. And so Jesus is actually the boss of the church. I know it's sad that I have to preach on that. But, you know, sometimes we have to be reminded of that. And so he's like, I didn't plant a church. I planted people. And I'm like, okay, I guess people are the church. Duh. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. People are the church. Okay, so how do you plant? How do, you, how do I help them grow? And he's like, how do trees grow? Anyone here ever grown a tree before? From a tree. Like a smaller sapling. Might have got it from Bunnings. In fact, yesterday, Sonia went and visited this lady's garden and she brought back some dahlias, dahlias and a rose, I think. Oh, no, we had the rose. And we planted those in our front garden. Guess how you plant them? Can we just... There you go. The roots go down. <laughs> the roots go down. Did you know that? When you plant a tree... Have you ever tried to plant a tree upside down? You ever tried? I, I'm stupid enough. I actually have tried that. And it, um, guess what happened? It just dried out and died. It, just, it looked like a tree for a while, but it dried out and died. Why? Because its roots were going up there, going, whoa, where's the dirt? And there wasn't any. And the leaves were down there going, oh, where's the sun? There wasn't any. So you've got to put it the right way up. Okay. So roots down. Everyone say roots down. And point in the right direction which is up, obviously, all right? So, okay, it's not a plant class tonight. I'll, I'll try and bring it home, all right? So that's how trees grow. And that's how people grow too. Roots down. You put your roots down. You put your roots down. You know why roots are really important? So when wind comes, when the storms come, the tree doesn't go, it stays put. You don't see the roots, by the way. I don't see your roots. Everyone's got a story. We heard a little bit of Julia's story last week. She's got a massive story. She got some roots down. She's trusting Jesus when the storms come. I wonder if your roots are down. There's special roots. There's different kinds of roots. There's ones that go out sideways. There's like a tapping root that goes straight down. What's it look for? Water. Yeah. So that's another thing. You need water on planting a tree, right? So you put the roots in the ground. And then you put water on it. All the way through the Bible, pretty much, more often than not, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus got 12 trees, right? One of them decided not to be planted the way Jesus wanted him to be planted. 
One of them decided that that's not the way the kingdom should look. And so he, he just he decided to sell his, sell his soul, basically. His name was Judas. But the other 11, they waited. They waited because Jesus said, wait. So they put their roots down. They trusted the word. They trusted what Jesus said. It didn't make sense half the time, but they just believed it. And they put their roots down and they abided in him and his word. And then he said, wait until what? The Holy Spirit comes. And then when the Holy Spirit came, the water came upon them. Guess what happened? They flourished. They would flourish. They were, they were right in their destiny as disciples of Jesus. And that's basically what a disciple is. Someone with their roots down, filled with the Holy Spirit and influenced. Now, that's cool. That's a message for me. right? That's what the Lord really said to me. But then I thought, well, how do I, how do, what do we do about that this year? What do I do about that this year, Lord? Do you want me to teach on that? And so basically, I'm just going to teach on that. Roots. And I thought, what better roots? You know, we're Wesleyan Methodists, right? So what are our roots? What are we, what are we, what's our mission statement as a Wesleyan Methodist denomination? Holiness. Holiness. Now, when I say that word holiness, sometimes people think of old ladies with buns in their hair and wearing long dresses that cover their ankles with black stockings underneath just in case someone saw anything. And, you know, and there's this list of things that we're abstaining from. You can't dance. You can't eat peanuts. You can't go to nightclubs. You can't go to the pub. You can't play cards. Did I say that already? Yeah. You can't socially. In fact, almost some, some people think that, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to sit over that side and the, the ladies have to sit on that side. And there's this, all these rules and regulations. Some people think of that when they think of the word holiness. But I want you to, next time I ask you the question, what do you think of when I say holiness? This is what I want you to think of, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I would say, out of all of the human beings that have ever lived, he would have to be the, the holiest one, right? I'm giving you guys a little bit of a help here because, like, he so is, all right? So Jesus, don't you think, would have to be the most holy human being? Yeah, thanks for the response. It makes the sermon go quicker. So he would know a little bit about what a holy life looks like, don't you think? So isn't it funny how he would live such a morally pure life, not sin ever, not once, but yet be so attractive to people who are outcasts in society, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, all kinds. Isn't that funny? Now, I look in history sometimes, and I don't want to preach negative, but Sometimes we get the idea that holiness is, is separating ourselves from, from the uncleaned masses, right? I don't know. I don't think that's true. And hopefully you guys don't think that's true. What it comes down to, though, is influence. So if you are in the unclean masses group and they're influencing you to live there non-Christ-like way, then, you, then some alarm bells should be going on, all right? You should start getting into fellowship, coming to the church here and me preaching to you or someone preaching to you about what Jesus said, right? But the idea is that we should be like Jesus. And Jesus, yes, he would seclude himself from time to time, but he was, he was influenced by the Holy Spirit to make an influence, he represented God. I mean, he's the exact representation of God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. He spoke what, what God would speak because he's God, right? 
All right. So hopefully you think of Jesus next time I ask you that question. So basically, holiness equals Christ-likeness. So our series that we're going to go through is called Pursuing Holiness, the pursuit of a surrendered life. Holiness comes from a surrendered life. It's not striving to do something or to not do something. It's actually surrendering to the person of Jesus Christ and saying, have your way, have your will in my life. Strengthen me. And it's notice it's a pursuit, pursuing holiness. This is not a course on how to become perfect because none of us will ever be perfect. But the idea is that we are different daily, more like Jesus on a daily basis. Representing him, reflecting his nature, his, his character and his attitudes. All right, so it's something that's possible. All right, it's a pursuit and everyone is invited to come along. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. This is the New Living Translation. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Stop there. This is put all your hope where? Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when you're saved, like entirely saved, put all of your hope in the day when not only will your soul be saved, and your spirit saved, but your whole entire body will be saved. All the people with body ailments can now just praise the Lord. Okay, yeah, thank you. All right, no arthritis, no cancer, no tumors, no pain, all right, no growing old. Awesome! You will be exactly perfect. On the day Jesus comes back, because you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will be like him just as he is, like in all ways, body, soul, and spirit. At the moment, you're just saved on the inside. Your body is going, no way, you're not. You're getting old. Yeah, that's right. So look forward. Put your hope, put your hope in that, right? You're looking forward to that day. It's going to happen, right? Verse 14, so now... You must live as God's obedient children. Everyone say obedient children. children. We love obedient children in our family, don't we, guys? We love when our children just do what they're asked, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) So you, you all, kids turn to your parents. You must live as God's obedient children. Tell them, tell them, kids. Don't, tell them, no, that, that, that's enough. Yeah. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, so the inference is that you know better now, right? Verse 5, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That's what God said in Leviticus. He didn't say, you must be holy. You must be as holy as me. He didn't say that. It's not a competition, right? He is saying, you must be holy because I'm holy. 
Because I'm your dad and I've now given birth to you by my Holy Spirit, I, I, I actually want my children to look like me. That's what God is saying, right? And not just like with their lips look like me, but with their actions. Notice that it says you must be holy in everything you do. Don't you hate that? It's like that word. What is it? It starts with I and it ends in integrity. What is that word? Integrity. Yeah. It's doing the right thing when nobody's looking. All right? Now, that is a hard thing to do. All right? Especially if you're in a rush to get somewhere and the speed limit says 40. Don't be naughty. Do 40. But you notice that there's no one around. No one's at the road work thing. There's no builders there. They're not working. You're not going to hurt anybody. So you think that 75 is okay because it's safe speed. So you do 75. Is that, is that being holy in everything you do? I can't answer that question for you, but you can answer that question for you. Next time you're, you're faced with that situation or something similar where it's like, no one's going to get hurt, but oh, it's really the right thing to do this, and I'm doing this. Don't ask me. Don't ask any other Christian person. Pray. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because for you, it might not be sinful. It might not be pulling you away from your relationship with God. But for me, it is. I kind of go, well, no, I think, you know, I should do that. Why? Because I know that it's in those little tiny opportunities to show obedience that Jesus goes, oh, there's somebody I can trust who has integrity. When no one's looking, they will do this in that room with that person instead of that, like that other person would do. You know, I think there's training ground in the 40 zones for us, you know? Okay, I'll leave that with you. But in everything you do, okay, the command is be holy. It is a command. You must be holy because I'm holy. It's from Leviticus. But, but Peter, who was the closest to Jesus, quotes it. So we can't, we can't, as New Testament believers go, well, that was an Old Testament thing to be holy. We, it's, it's not something that we're we need to strive for. It's something that we have because of Christ. You're right and not right. Because it is something that we have. We've been made holy. By the blood of Jesus. No other way we could be made holy at all. All right. But he says you must be holy in all that you do. Okay. Not just who you are in Christ, but actually it's got to come out in your life. Like what you believe needs to come out in your what, you, what you're walking out in your life. Right. Your attitude, your behavior, reactions, everything. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. It's a command. Now, Jesus commanded his disciples to do a lot of things. Are you like, like me? Sometimes I, like, I kind of think, well, that, that was a command for the disciples, for those 12. You know, that's not for me. I'm not one of the 12. So, um, you know, when he gives the Great Commission, sends them out, make disciples of all nations, I'm thinking, well, that's just, you know, that's too hard for me. I can't make disciples of all nations. That's just for the 12. You ever thought like that? Well, it's false. It's false, it's false thinking. Whatever Jesus commands his disciples to do, or whatever Jesus commands anyone to do, he commands them to do it because 
He wants them to do it. And he wants you and I to do the same thing. Jesus never commanded them, by the way, without giving them equipment to accomplish the task. He will never command what he cannot equip. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, it says, Jesus is speaking on the Mount of, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, even if you say something about someone, you've committed murder in your heart. That sort of stuff. Really hard teaching. But then he finishes off in here in verse 48. He says, but you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly father, or your father in heaven, sorry, is perfect. You're to be perfect. Oh, wow. Excellent. That's possible, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The message paraphrases it this way, if it helps. In a word, what I'm saying is, Jesus, that is, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. Now the context of this is Jesus actually is just finished talking about how we should love enemies because that's how your heavenly father treats them he loves them he loves his enemies i mean you know you and i once were his enemies but he showed his love for us he sent jesus so but and so he says you've got to be if you want to follow me if you want to be my disciple you've got to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect at least try to look like your dad at least be on the mission to try and look like your dad you know, you're born again tonight. Try and look like your dad. It's actually a partnership. It's a dance. It's a waltz. It's not like, well, the Holy Spirit can make me do that if he wants me to. And you and we just sit there and just you know, believe it in our heads and not live it out. It's actually, a, it's, it's, a, it's keeping in step with the Spirit and it's living it out daily on a daily basis. Actually trying to follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Becoming mature, I think was the word in there somewhere. Live generously and graciously towards others, but it's the idea of becoming mature. This word perfect in Matthew 5, 48 is a word that means becoming mature. You ever used a telescope before? You know what one is? You can look through it, right? And then, so I could look, I could look at Jamie over here through it and he'd be pretty close. But then if I wanted to look at something a little bit further than Jamie, what would I need to do? I just extend it out a bit, right? And I could look further. And then I could look further and further. Where are my feet moving? Nowhere. But I'm, I'm, I'm slowly looking further at a distant place. And the idea here is this word perfect. It, it's a Greek word, teleos something. But it's, the idea of it is that it's a, it's a maturing towards a place. Remember, remember what um, Peter said, he put your hope fully in the grace to be given you. Like it's this, it's looking forward to this thing, but you're standing here. And so like you can see something way up there that you know is coming, and, but you've got to work towards it if you can, but on this earth. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is, but look like your dad. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, by the way. Never notice that he's called the Holy Spirit? Because you're not holy, and I'm not holy without him. So here's the Holy Spirit, because our spirits are not holy. So here, okay, 
that's probably enough teaching right now. Here's some reasons why people don't want to be living a holy life or they find it difficult. It's impossible. I want to tell you tonight that holiness is for you. You can actually be a holy person. Holy means set apart, right? Now, we didn't take up an offering tonight, but next slide, Tim. We didn't take an offering tonight. We, we have a bowl at the back and we also have an online thing. But the idea is that if people did put money in that offering at the back, right? Cash money. You might, might have cash money in your wallets. I don't need you, We don't need your money. But I want you to notice that next time you go, see the cash in your wallet. You don't know the story of that cash. You don't know where it's been. It might have been used in a drug deal. It might have been used to buy illegal things. All right? it, it could have been used for all sorts of stuff. But let's imagine you decided to use that to put it into the offering towards God's kingdom. What you've just done then is you've made that holy. You've set it apart. You've decided it's no longer going to be for that purpose. It's going to be for this purpose. Has it changed molecular structure? No, it still looks the same, right? On the outside, but it's dedicated towards God's work. Now, each and every one of you and me can be dedicating ourselves to God's work more and more each day, more and more becoming Christ-like each day. Not that we'll ever look like Jesus Christ in the flesh and do the amazing things that he did. And not that you or I aren't going to die on a cross for everyone's sins, because that's just ridiculous. But in terms of character and in terms of the way that God can use us to reach the people around us and that we live next door to, yes, he wants us to become more like Jesus. Sometimes that could be a hard thing. First problem that some people come to is that they have a self-centered versus a God-centered attitude towards sin. In other words, when it comes to sin, sin is like this thing that I need, to, I need to have victory over. I've got to strive to have victory over this sin in my life, whether it be some kind of habitual sin that nobody knows about or what, all right? I've got to have victory over that. And instead of having, the, having feelings towards, oh, I've just, I've just, I've, I've just grieved God's heart. I've just grieved my heavenly father's heart when I've done that. So the story of jo Joseph in the Old Testament is a story of Joseph rising up, right? But before he rised up, rose up in leadership, he was thrown in a cistern. He was sold into slavery. And all the while, the Lord was with him. And in one house, when he was living in, uh, he was a slave and he moved up in rank and he became the head slave. In fact, he was in charge of the whole house. And the house was uh, owned by a guy called Potiphar. And Potiphar had a wife, but Joseph didn't own the wife. But the wife thought she could own Joseph, if you understand what I'm talking about. And so she enticed him. She enticed Joseph to sleep with her. And, and Joseph straight away said, how can I do this sin? Not against Potiphar, not against the wife, not against the other people in the house, but against my God. How can I do this sin against my God? Like regardless of what everyone else thought, he knew that this was something that was grieving his God's heart. And so it's a heart to heart thing. And sometimes people don't feel like they could actually be holy because they don't want to include God's heart into that relationship of their, uh, in, into their temptation journey. If that's a word, I'm, anyway, I'll leave it there. In other words, instead of I need a victory in my life, say, I have grieved God's heart and I must repent. And then obedience to that leads to victory all the time. Um, 
the second thing is that uh, people can misunderstand living by faith. So um, Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, right? That's the idea. So, um, you know, I don't have to try hard. I just have to believe. I just have to believe that I'm not a sinner, you know, and I'll be fine. That's wrong thinking. I believe myself into being more like Jesus. That's, I don't want to, I don't want to live a holy life. I don't want to make those kind of choices because that's works-based salvation. That's what those sort of people would say. That's, that's like religion. Wow. That's not faith. Well, I would say to them, no, actually, it's actually, it's, it's just taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's the hard work that's involved in following Jesus because Jesus saved me. I live for him. And the third reason is sometimes it's hard is that some sins we don't take seriously. You know, you'll never actually live a holy life if you just think that there's bad sins and good sins. For example, which is better, murder or lying? I know, I know which one I'd rather you guys do to me because we know the right answer, right? Like you guys were just thinking like straight away, like they're both the same, Ian. But I'm like, no, they're not. Imagine if I did one of them to you. Which one would you choose? Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but we, we categorize sin, don't we? Ask God what he thinks about that question. What does he think is worse, lying or, or murder? Hmm? I know. Why? Because he's so pure. He's so, he's so unchangeably holy. He's so immensely pure and blameless and spotless and totally like without sin that it's just the same. But we can't grasp that. And so we kind of go, well, I haven't murdered anyone this week, so I am living a holy life. Or I haven't lied really bad. It was just a, a white lie. But, you know, it's, it's less than the week before, so... You know, and we kind of excuse our lives as we follow Jesus. We we excuse our sins as if they're you know measurable. But let me encourage you with this: it's more about the majesty of the lawgiver than it is about the law that we're breaking. All right. Now I know Jesus Christ, His blood that He shed on the cross, it like it broke the power of sin, right? And all the curse of the law that the law, and so we don't we don't work our salvation. And our relationship with the Father through obeying laws, not at all. That's not how it works. But because of Christ, we're actually able to fulfill the law through the Holy Spirit's power in our life because the law is good. The law honors God. Like he doesn't want people to to murder other people or to steal other people's donkeys or wives or anything. You know, like he wants people to live life and love life. Anyway. God is holy, right? We know that. God is holy. He is absolutely pure. He is unchangeable. Um, are we willing to call sin, sin in the face of a completely and infinitely holy God? Oh, absolutely. Just not in a crowded room with everyone else. It's what Methodism started off with, right? It started off with little gatherings of people that would get together and they would actually share, you know, I'm struggling with this area of my life. Can you guys pray with me? Can you pray for me? And like people just got real. Like they just got real. And no one blabbed because sometimes that can happen. And so now we just go, I'm not going to share with anyone because they're just going to blab. But are we, are we willing to call sin, sin? Not just because it is um, big or little, but because it is actually against a holy God. He always has the correct answer 
His actions toward us are perfect. So roots down, roots down. Now Methodist roots down. Let's get them down there. Let's throw them down. It's super important for a tree to grow with its roots down. It will, it will fulfill its destiny. If its roots are down, it will fulfill its destiny if it continues to grow in soil with water. Holiness is for you and for me. Holiness is not something that we actually strive for. We don't get at it from striving. We get at it, next one, from this. This is how you can be holy, right? Who wants to be holy tonight? Who wants to actually live every single day becoming more like Jesus and just honoring him with everything? And who fails at it? Yeah, me. I do. Who needs help? Yeah, me. So we, it's no use striving towards it more and more. Let's just surrender and say, I need help. <laughs> surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Surrender to the inworking influence of the Holy Spirit. What better place to go if you want to be holy? Surrender to the identity that each one of us have as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And let's surrender to that. Let's surrender to Him. He is our God and we should look like our Father. So I want to encourage you, if you want to come next week, it's going to be a tough one, but I encourage you to come along. We're going to go putting our roots down. All right, throw our roots down and we'll walk together through it and um, see what God does. I'm excited because um, Jesus was holy and he did some good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you're not finished with any of us. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your great power that you've made available to us. Your Holy Spirit in us, <laughs> able to live victorious lives, reflecting you to the people around us this week. Lord, I just want to pray your blessing upon us, these people and myself, Lord, as we, as we go about our business this week. And Lord, even as we are on our own this week, have your way and be honoured in all that we do and say and think. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.